0: Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, yeah, idiot. Welcome, everybody, to the Martin LaStrap Show podcast hour. This is episode number 222. And I have I have a guest today, a guest that I'm very excited about. Uh, she is uh, not only a very talented author uh, and a very talented editor, uh, but she's also a very good friend of mine. So it's always fun to, to talk to her. This is Tammy Salyer. How are you doing, Tammy?
1: I'm good. Great to be back.
0: It is. A, you were one of my very first guests. I think yeah. it's
1: been a while.
0: I meant to look it up. So, but I, I know you are one of my first guests because um in the in the early days of the show, uh when I didn't really know how to use the <laughs> like the, the technology, um I all, I I recorded all my interviews face to face. And so yeah. so you were one of the first guests that uh that came to the apartment and uh and recorded with me whenever that was. We'll say 2014, maybe something like that. Yeah. Many, many moons ago.
1: And you just said this is your 222nd? 222. Wow.
0: If you can That's believe okay. that. And that actually would take a year off because 2021, it became sort of, a, I think like with the rest of the world became just sort of an unofficial hiatus. I didn't... Yeah,
1: nothing happened. <laughs> it was just this big black hole of nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, if I'd actually recorded in 2021, we'd have, but I'd have more episodes, but whatever. 222 is is plenty. If this was the last one, if you were the last guest ever and this was it, 22, 2022, that's fine. We did it. We proved whatever we were trying to prove. 2022 and
1: 2022. I love
0: it. That's actually, you know what? Now, now I'm going to have to think about it. Maybe for symmetry, this might have to be the last one. It's probably not, but if it is, <laughs> I, I I do like the the symmetry of it. So I don't know. So I I, re, I remember how we met. And, and, and so I don't know if you remember, but we originally met so if we did the podcast in 2014, it was probably somewhere in that area of 20 it actually probably was right around 2014 or so. And specifically, I was looking for an editor for for my my vampire trilogy. Oh, I'm not even, I don't even know if it was a trilogy yet. It might have just been like one huge whatever book that I eventually broke up into three. But I was looking for an editor and I hadn't worked with an editor up to that point, because my my first book, Inside the Outside, um, I basically edited my, myself with the help of uh, my wife, Chanel, did some like copy editing for me and I had no editing experience. It was just it, it was both my first time publishing uh, as well as writing a book and editing and stuff. So for me, it was mostly about about money. Like I didn't know how much money to invest in the book. I wasn't afraid to invest money into it, but I just didn't know exactly like where to put it. So, Mm -hmm. so with editing, I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I could figure this out myself with the set, with the vampire trilogy. Like I wanted to work with, with an editor and, um, you might've been the first one. You might've been the first editor who I, who I contacted. And, um, right off the bat, you were super cool. You're really great. It was all email in the beginning. And, um, what you did for I me—I'm mean, sure you do this for for clients in general—but you did uh, uh, like a sample edit of like maybe two or three pages, if that sounds accurate, yeah. and um, and it was fantastic. It, it, it like I, I'm sure I told you at the time, but even w- whatever it is, seven, eight years later, um, uh, I still remember how how great your sample edit was of those three pages um, because it was a little bit of it was a little bit of uh, copy editing, but also um, really, really great suggestions in terms of kind of what you what you read and gleaned from those first couple of pages of, um, uh, you know, story editing, line editing, um, different things that I actually want to get into into it with you. And the only reason that uh, the, the only reason you didn't edit my vampire trilogy is uh you're too goddamn good at your job so you were too busy so oh, I, I
1: it was i was too expensive or i was already
0: booked. no no I, I was ready i was ready to pay you um uh, so i think when i originally contacted you either i wasn't ready to to pull the trigger yet or in terms of like the book being like like ready ready to be edited yeah. um or maybe I, I who knows maybe i maybe i thought like she's great but do i have to look for do I have to find like five other editors first just to make sure I didn't like, you know, that you know, she's, you know, in retrospect, you were obviously the best one. Uh, I'm not, I'm not just saying that by the way. Um, like, like, um, so, so what happened was, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe it was a couple months later. It wasn't a long break, but uh, when I got in, touch with, uh, got in touch with you again to be like, all right, cool. The, 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 the books are, are, are ready, um, ready to do this. And you were like, like you were, you were down to edit the books, but you were like literally booked for maybe eight or nine months, uh, in advance. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I'm two years. What's that? Now I have a two year. I believe
0: it. I absolutely, I absolutely believe it. So, and, and again, in retrospect, um, in retrospect, I, I, I wish I would have waited because it's like, it's like, you know, now all of a sudden eight or nine months, it's not really a long time. But like at, at that moment, it was like, well, I don't know. The books are done and I don't know. Let's just let's get them out in the world. But, but yeah. you know, I, I, I wish I would have waited for you because I think it would have been a really great experience. Um, but then from there, because because the the sample edit you did for me was so great. Um, and, and I enjoyed just our, our email conversations. And then I just started the podcast. Uh, I was like, well, I don't know. Let's let's see if she wants to do the show. And you did. And I was so glad you did. Um. I'll look. I'm going to look up what episode it was in, in just a sec because I I I, I know it's one of the early ones. Yeah. Um But in the meantime, uh, kind of kind of catch me up a little bit on on what's been happening with you. Like we we saw each other in person. What was it? Uh, two years That's ago, 19, maybe.
1: 2019 at the 20 Books Conference.
0: Oh wow, that was like right before the pan. That was right before yeah. we knew the world was going to shut down. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Within months, within two months.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. You were in Vegas, and we were able to grab dinner, which was which was fantastic. So, so, so yeah. Catch me. You don't have to catch me up on two years, but kind of give me an idea what what you've been up to.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, since 2019, I've published uh, five books. Um, That's amazing. I know. I didn't think I was. <laughs> I had it but I, didn't, I I had one already written, and finally pulled the trigger on that in early 2020. And then I had the second book in that series half written. So it was like I've only written three and a half books since twenty nineteen, but I've published five. So that's wow. been really wild and fun and good. And um, the more it's one of it's like one of those things, the more you do it, the, the faster you get. Absolutely. And the more confident you get, you know. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, I can do this. And so you just like the next time it's it's not a question of you don't you don't have any self doubt at that point maybe
0: i should <laughs> <laughs> no no definitely not i, but... I, I uh, that makes perfect sense i because i the um i i think I, I had some of that momentum that you're talking about where the, the more you do it the more confidence you get and then there were I, I i sort of took a break between uh i i don't really say i took a break it just sort of you know it just my, my momentum fell off a little bit well actually you know what I'll get into that in a little bit. Cause I, I don't yes, want to
1: hear about the carnival book. I really do. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm actually excited to to talk to you about it. So, so that particular book, once I got, once I started writing that again or got back into it, it it really did feel like, you know, it, I don't know, to a, to a certain degree. It's, I had to like relearn how to, how to do this or it's like, like the writing, like, you know, storytelling mm. in general, it's, it's, it's in my brain. Yeah. Um, a little bit like riding a bike uh story structure in general like it's it's kind of at my fingertips but actually you know putting a blank page on the screen and and doing the work if it's like okay this feel it's it, it feels it's like i haven't walked for a year and my muscles have atrophied and this is okay this is going to take me a little while
1: yeah yeah totally the that's that's the other thing i've learned too is that the the less you do it the harder it is to <laughs> It's like you really, like everybody, you know, who writes for a living says you have to create, uh, 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 you have to be a consistent, you know, you have to Mm -hmm. consistently write every day or consistently write every day, the same day of the week. You have to schedule and stick to it to build that muscle, to build that muscle memory, to build that mental muscle memory and just to keep your momentum
0: Absolutely. Now, now here's something wild. I because I, uh, I, I, like I said, I wanted to look up when you were on the show originally. This is your second visit. So, so the first time you were on the show, it was 2015. The, oh, yeah. the date was April 19th. Are you kidding me? Today's April 21st. We're almost like we almost hit our. I, I wish if I would have looked at this ahead of time, we might I, I might have just done it for synergy, just to like do yeah. like a straight up anniversary. I can't believe there, there's something about April. There's something about mid-April where apparently we need to sit down and, and record a conversation.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. pretty
0: wild. Like at that time so one of the main things I think we talked about was uh I don't know if it was your first trilogy but it was that The Spectrus Arise is it like a science fiction trilogy.
1: That was my first, yeah.
0: And then uh and so so the, that's, so you've written five books since those original 3 or that's just five books recently?
1: Uh I've written Five books, yeah. No, that's five books. Well, six now because I just finished another one wow. um, last month, uh, or last month. And um, so I've written six, and I've written two novellas since that trilogy. So
0: that's wild. That's wild. And so, between twenty
1: fifteen and twenty twenty or twenty eighteen, I didn't. I don't think I wrote anything. If I wrote at all, it was small. It was. It was just puttering instead
0: of doing, you know? <laughs> oh that's so wow that's that that's so many books it's so impressive because like, like like you're you're a, a, a fantastic writer okay. so um but I I often think like even even for people wh- whoever they are uh e- even if somebody is is a not great writer it's still it's still hard to write a book and so to write to write okay. six seven eight good books, let alone bad books, even it's commendable. But in your case, you're a great writer. So that, that part doesn't apply to you. It's just so impressive to, well, to write thanks. that many books, to, to, to publish that many books.
1: But I got to tell you, I have clients who are writing a book a month. This is a thing that, you know, when we first chatted, indie publishing was new, you know, mm-hmm. it was still, new. Was still, I mean, it was five years into it or so. Yeah. Uh, and now we're another seven years into it. Um, and, and like, something happened in the ethos of the <laughs> world not the ethos but the like the atmosphere of the world where people realized that they could churn books out and and still be good uh and those are the ones who impressed me i'm like where do you get that <laughs> idea you know and i and and not and like not being hung up on per- perfectionism Sure. I kinda, uh I kind of am. So, I mean, and I'm an editor, so of course I am. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, the people who are like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough to like, you know, fit the tropes and fit the expectations of my audience. And and the audiences are just eating it up. So it's doing fine. I love that. I love that people can do that. It exhausts me to think
0: about. (laughs) I, 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 am with you on that. I remember again, in the early days of indie publishing, um, especially in the early days, I was, I was a lot more uh i I think my finger was more on the pulse of kind of what was happening in the indie world like today in 2022 i really don't i I don't have a whole lot of (laughs) much of a clue of what's happening in the world of indie publishing outside of anything that i might have you know planned but i but but you know back in those early days i i would i was it's like you i was reading about authors who are writing you know a a book a month or publishing a book a month there there was one author and i and I, i I would give him a shout out if I can remember his name, it was so many years ago. He was turning out books so quickly uh, that he said he would actually write books on his treadmill. That was so he would like oh, write yeah. books while he got his workout in. As you said, just kind of pound them out. You know, wasn't like wasn't mindfully like writing garbage, but it was also like just just put a story on the page. My he you know he had readers. They liked whatever the series was. They liked these characters. They're not particularly partial apparently to, to, you know, well, I was going to say the quality. I don't even know if that's like, I get like, with, like you and I would probably have, you know, a, a higher standard for the quality that we're comfortable of before we put a book out in the world. Um, I think we share that where there's a lot of, a lot of indie authors in particular who, who are doing great. And, and again, you know, they've found an audience and that audience is buying their books consistently Um, so if if you can, you know, if if you can do that, anybody, if anybody can do that, it's, it's, that's also very impressive.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And quality is, is subjective anyway. Yeah. It's subjective to readers. It's subjective to the genre you're writing in it, writing in. Um, so who's to be the, the, the final judge. And that's the beauty Mm -hmm. of indie publishing is that you don't have people judging the quality anymore based on whatever their subjective ideas of quality are. Mm Mm-hmm objective ideas are <laughs> uh, so that's why you're seeing so many great stories that never would have seen the light of day before that may not mm-hmm. be you know uh traditional publishing public standards publishing standards but they're really good
0: yeah they're, they're really good and they're yeah. great for What they are yeah and, and, and like with with traditional publishing too so much of it is it's both the subjective nature of you know does your work uh, a, a line with you know, say what a literary agent's looking for, and then what a like an acquisition editor is looking for, and a publisher, and all that stuff. But then beyond just like, is your book of a quality that they appreciate it and like it? But then it's also the business end of it, like what's happening in the publishing world, what kind of books are selling. Yeah. Uh, did you write a book? You know, hypothetically, did you write a book that? is likely to sell if so sure yeah i'll, I'll represent you says the literary yeah. agent or a will publish this Says the publisher but but then there's so many books where it's like sub, e- even subjectively an agent or an editor or publisher or, or all of the above can objectively read a book or I, I say objectively subjectively read a book and say you know what this is fantastic
2: mm-hmm.
0: but this is not it's what's so selling hard. right now so yeah. sorry and then it's and then all of a sudden it's like you you put in all the work to, to write a quality book and by, you know, by, by all accounts, you did it. And if at that exact time, you know, time in the world, people aren't buying books about the circus, we'll say, then, then, you know, you're shit out of luck. It's a fantastic book. Be very proud of your work, but you know, publishers aren't buying this. So. <laughs>
1: yeah. And you don't have to listen to that drivel anymore. That's, you can do what you do what you love and make money at it. And you don't have some gatekeeping is out
0: absolutely You're
1: willing to do the secondary job of being your own publisher that's mm-hmm. that's a job that exceeds just writing a book wow. it really
0: is it yeah. really is
1: and I say just writing a book like that's a <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> I don't think so the marketing and stuff it could be
0: that's the thing it's like I think for so many authors um particularly authors who are not uh, uh, authors where indie publishing isn't necessarily their first choice. I think a lot of it, not all of it, but I think a lot of it is writing the book was so challenging and it was so much work that it was like, I don't want to do any more work. I I, I did all this work. Yeah. I, I want somebody else to publish it, which again, if you can find the publisher, fantastic, but yeah.
1: it's still a viable way to go.
0: Yeah. I, I enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy the process of, of publishing and um, like, I love the process of, you know, uh, it's, finding an, an editor to work with uh finding a designer to Oh, you're to the do only, only one who loves that process <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, you know one. what i <laughs> the finding finding an editor was tricky but like I, I i guess what i guess big picture i love the process of just being in creative control like yes. uh being in control of okay what 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 editor do i want to bring in to, to play with the story with me what designer do i want to bring in to design a cover for me what uh what interior designer who in, in my case is usually different from the cover designer okay. uh, do i want to bring in to to design the interior and then beyond that like working with those other creative people like with um uh like as an example with my my last published book uh, which was dolph the unicorn killer and other stories um i i had uh I wanted the cover. I had an idea of the cover, um, feeling a little bit like a comic book or like a comic book illustration. It's a great cover. I appreciate that very much. I wish I could take credit for. I, I can take creative creative credit in terms of whatever. I, I found the right people, or person. But even with that, what happened was I was at my local comic book store here in Las Vegas, um, looking at comics and toys and whatnot, and um, they had some. They have some posters up on the wall. And I, I really loved some of the artwork that they that they had up on the wall, and I was thinking, you know, that would uh, some of this, some of the aesthetic of this artwork, I think would lend itself to a book cover pretty nicely. So I, um, I, I think I ended up buying some of the artwork, but then I also did a deep dive to find the artist, and oh nice, and so the artist was living in Oregon, but apparently was actually from Las Vegas, which makes sense, which might have been why they had had his artwork up to, to begin with. Um, So I contacted him and um, kind of let him know that I was looking for uh, some original artwork for this book cover. And because he clearly had an interest in sort of superhero style stuff anyway, he was interested in that. And so it was such a great process of um, it it was a short story collection. But I did I um, I sent him the the title story because that's what I wanted the artwork to be based on, mm-hmm. uh, or or like a, a late draft of it. It wasn't the final draft, but he didn't need that. He just wanted to see kind of what it was about, and then based on reading the story, he showed up with just like some really great ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, he really kind of like it. It was it was a great experience because, you know, some of the stuff that he was talking about and describing was, you know, in some cases it's like very much what I saw, In other cases it was like. I didn't see that at all, but that's perfect. Like if I had more of a artist brand like him, maybe I would have seen that. And so that collaboration was a lot of fun. And then, you know, he did, I think like three, uh, I, I call them sketches. Any one of them was like so much better than anything I could have done. But for him, I think they were essentially sketches and then being able to like hmm. pick one. Uh, and even that process was like, it was also kind of scary because I was like, I don't know, I don't want to pick the wrong one. So I think I was like showing them to different people like, which one do you like if you had to pick one for your book cover which one would you pick and then you know so so anyway i, I love that process i love that i love being able to go through that process with uh yeah. with independent publishing how about you by the way your book covers are always fantastic
2: yeah.
0: uh how, how do you what's your processes as an indie publisher about getting those just
1: like yours just like yours i went to um my first but well my very first published book i had my my Ex-husband was a, a graphic, uh, not a graphic designer. Um, he went through art school, and um, so I had him make the cover for my first book, which was, you know, decent. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any
2: mm,
1: delusions of grandeur at the time. I was just like, "Oh, I'm just going to make a quick book." Uh, so I did. And then when I decided to extend that book into a series, I did what you did. I looked at a lot of different artists, and I finally found one um, that I actually heard about through another podcaster, um, another podcast group. Mm-hmm. Uh, self-publishing podcast maybe
0: oh that yeah. yeah yeah
1: uh with with uh uh i haven't listened to him in a while um it's a
0: good one i also can't remember their names but it's a good one
1: the three guys
0: yes i
1: feel terrible i know
0: we're awful I hear
1: this <laughs> <laughs> anyway it was jason Gurley. jason Gurley used to do uh do cover work for like um himself and he's fantastic on his own books and then uh for uh hugh howie So Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, I need to work with Jason Gurley. So he did the (laughs) covers for that series, the Spectre series, the new covers. I don't know if they were covered yet with those covers when you and I first met. And then um, when I started publishing my next books, I moved into epic fantasy. And so I went through a process of like, the world is filled with wonderful artists now. And Mm -hmm. so many more now work with indie publishers. So it was such a huge winnowing down process. Yeah. Um, but I found this company that was fairly new when I found them three years ago and they're out of Ukraine. Interesting. And they're still in business right now. It's oh, so wow. fantastic. Good for them. A lot of them I think have actually, um, moved out of the country to like Germany, but they're still working. So good for them. You know, heart goes out to them. Um, uh, anyway, their name is Meeble art and they did my Epic fantasy covers and they did such a good job on those that now I'm, I'm, writing, uh, Weird West fantasy is what I'm calling it. (laughs) Um, And they're doing those covers, and they're great. I love them so much. So I've been working with that. uh, Oh, and they recovered, and then I had them recover the Spectres books again because they are so fantastic. They're really quick, um, and they have lots of great ideas, and they can pretty much do any genre, and I write in a lot of genres. So Mm -hmm. it's great to have the continuity with just working with one company for all of my books. Absolutely. Um, And I just recovered the Spectres because kind of the expectations of the genre are, are entrenched in a little bit different ways than they were when I got them done by Jason in the first place. And it's, sometimes it's a good idea to update, you know, and keep current with the trends. So I'm really happy with the new covers. Um, and I think they actually fit the, the, the books a little better even. So, so
2: yeah. yeah.
1: But no, it's a process to find them, and I'm really glad I did.
0: They look fantastic. The, the new covers also look fantastic. The, uh, the, the The newest book came out in January, and if I'm not mistaken – Book two comes out in may yeah
1: yeah two three weeks three weeks yeah
0: that's but amazing
1: it touches
0: on it now <laughs> that's exciting okay so um so there's so so one of the uh, aside from wanting to, to to catch up with you um uh, i also wanted to bring you on very specifically for for your editing expertise uh but, but there's a couple things i'm curious about um i think well i well one of the things that I'm curious about is, uh, f- from your perspective, uh, you know, as an editor, somebody who does it professionally and works with, you know, a lot of authors when you're, when you put on your author hat, um, how does being an editor affect you as an author?
1: Um, I think it makes it easier. Honestly, I, uh, I feel like I was saying earlier, I just, because I'm, I don't worry about my grammar because mm-hmm. i I know, I know grammar inside and out, you know, so uh, it makes it a lot easier for me to ensure that I'm actually saying what I think I'm saying or Mm -hmm. what I want to say, um, because I can think of a lot of different ways to say something. I don't know if that's an editor trait or just a good writer trait,
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: calling myself a good writer, but somebody who writes a lot (laughs) and and reads a lot.
0: You you. are a good writer, but keep going.
1: Thank you. Um, Yeah. So uh, it doesn't. But, but the brains are different, you know, the editor brain and the writer brain are definitely different. Um, and I put aside, so when I'm editing, uh, when I'm developmentally editing somebody else's book, I'm very much like outside of the story, looking at it in terms of uh, Legos, you know, how's the structure? Are we getting to the the turning point, at, you know, at, at the right place in the story? Um, how is the character development, Are they are they, is it, is it all exposition? Are we getting enough out of dialogue and action? Things like that, mm-hmm. but when I write, if I were thinking in those abstract terms, I would never write a word, um, because it's too daunting to ensure that you're fitting. Uh, it's too daunting to think of, well for me, the writing process is a lot more organic, um, and I think that you know the more you write and the more you read, and the more comfortable you are with story structure, the lot, it it becomes so much easier to do it naturally. Mm -hmm. You don't have to sit there and wonder, have I got the big reveal at the right point? Did I get a flashback at the right point? Um, Am I telling too much backstory here?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, You start to just kind of intuitively know where those things belong. Um, And so I don't have to, I I don't let myself think about them in abstract terms. But when I'm outlining then I'm definitely thinking about um and I outline all my books now I didn't used to I used to be a panster <laughs> well I used to be a here I'm an outline, and then I would just chuck the outline you know within thirty pages of the book because it had already veered so far off just <laughs> and that wasn't a very effective, functional or efficient way of writing for me so i so I have like taught myself how to outline for myself like how what works for me in terms of outlining yeah and um and because I've spent so many years now uh, analyzing story structure, I'm able to write my outlines in ways that that allow the story to develop in a in a structure that's going to be entertaining and keep readers, you know, on board,
0: yeah. and not
1: bore them, and not overwhelm them, and not, um, you know, be all uh, seen and no dialogue, those kind of things.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Outlining. So I've been. Uh, uh, I'm a huge proponent of outlining in large part because it just it certainly for me and it sounds like for you it just makes the whole process easier especially in terms of you know looking at your story from a macro level being able to you know see that bird's eye view of here's you know the the chapters here's the story here's the different arcs okay so this thing happens in chapter two and that's going to set up the thing in chapter five actually you know what chapter four makes more sense from this point of view and you can just move things around um and it also with, but even within an outline, there's still uh, there's still room to to, to to be organic and play jazz a little bit, be a little bit of a panzer, but within yeah. the structure of an outline, because I, I know uh, I mean I, I've talked to st- uh, plenty of authors who um, they're uh, they're not on board with with the outlines. They they are they're, they're much more you know they, they write by the seat of their pants. For, for anybody who doesn't get the Panzer reference so the 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 book starts on sentence one and they just see where it takes them um which is it's 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 its, its own version of admirable for me it's just that that feels like an awful process that I'm not interested in mm. but you know I know like I know uh you know Tom Robbins who's one of my favorite authors um yeah. you know, at least what he said in what he said over he said more than once in interviews. Um, is that you know? That's how he, he writes. You know, one sentence at a time. Um, and, and partly, what I imagine though is, um, I, I, I imagine that for authors like that, the having a having a good editor is that much more important. Like, like maybe part of it is, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna write by the seat of my pants. I'm just gonna tell whatever story comes in my in the stream of consciousness. And then whatever I come up with 300 pages later, I'm just going to hand this over to somebody and let them help me figure out what to make of it. Which, which I guess, which, which maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's fine. I guess maybe if that works for, for somebody else, but I can't do that. Like for me, for me, a lot of the fun of the storytelling is, is with the structure of the story structure yeah. and, and working out the arc, the story arc and the character arc and the sure. sub plots and, you know, you know, getting all those things lined up. Um, uh oh actually i wanted to ask you also so do you uh, um with with your own books as an author uh do you do you like to work do you like to bring in an outside editor or are you comfortable uh editing yourself
1: i am uh i've gone back like i've gone back and forth i always have proofreaders Mm -hmm. definitely have proofreaders because you know that's impossible to do on your own uh absolutely but I've had a lot of beta readers. I've never actually hired a developmental editor, mm-hmm. not because I don't think I couldn't benefit from one, but mm-hmm. because I don't have the I don't want to rewrite that much. Yeah. I'm more willing to let my stories stand on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know i'm I'm comfortable with what I've written. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean um, so I don't I don't. And I don't want to rewrite, so I don't hire a developmental editor. It's really just laziness. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Basically.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: I could certainly benefit from it. I know, you know, the right editor would be a great partner, but yeah. uh, I don't want to spend the time or the money.
0: I wouldn't even call it laziness because I, so, okay, well, first of all, I am so happy to hear you say that because I have a, I have like a really, not dissimilar. similar. I think I have the exact same point of view of, um, as far as a developmental editor goes, uh, I'm like you say. I'm confident a good developmental editor would very, very likely, more than likely, would absolutely, probably bring me some good ideas that I'm not seeing myself. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I've spent so much time developing the story, in, you know, on my own in my own brain with my own uh, storytelling uh, aesthetics, as it were, that that by the time I'm done with the outline and writing the draft and then editing that draft two three four times whatever yeah I've spent so much time on it that <clears throat> again if, if I brought in a new pair of, of, of eyes to, to give me a different perspective I'm sure they, they would have something valuable to offer but I'm also not just I'm both comfortable with with what I've done and I'm also comfortable putting that version of the of the book out and in, out into the world right Um. And even as proofreaders go, I've, uh, outside of my first book, I've never, I don't think I've done beta readers. Like my vampire trilogy, I worked with, with an editor who wasn't Tammy Sawyer. Mm. Uh, I, thought, I, I, wished it were, but it wasn't, uh, <laughs> so I so, and so that was probably like the closest I had to somebody, you know, somebody reading it. And, but the, I, I mostly hired them at that point to do, um, so, so some copy editing maybe a little bit of line editing and and also by the way i, I in, in a few minutes i'm gonna uh I'm, I'm gonna ask you to dig in on you know really like, breaking there's... down like that process of editing but yeah um but anyway the, like i'll like probably the like like chanel my wife chanel uh she's probably the closest thing i'll have to a beta reader um partly it's twofold with her um on the one hand uh, she's, she, she's a good reader. So, so she, and, and she and I have similar tastes. So, um, so like, I feel comfortable asking her to, to, to read, you know, a, a draft and,
1: and, and is she willing to be mean to you?
0: <laughs> she is. She, she's, <laughs> she's, yeah, she, she's, she's willing to, to let me know, uh, if, if something, and, and, but she also knows that I'm a sensitive artist. So, okay, uh, yeah. so, so, you know, if something's not working, um, she knows how to, to, how to, how to, how to, how to, let me know, uh, you know, without crushing me, yeah. but she's also really good. Like, so to like as an example, and it's going to be crazy out of context, but like as an example, uh, in my vampire trilogy in, 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 the first book, um, there's, you know, there's a scene with, um, there's this female vampire, um, and when when we first meet her in the story, she's human, and she turns into a vampire, or she's turned into a vampire. So there's a scene where she chased, you know, where she's chasing down uh, this ex, this ex boyfriend of hers, um, to you know, to kill him. And uh, and and as far as like in terms of like the action, the scene was working really well. Um, but when Chanel read it, she wasn't even telling me that it needed something. She just had this really astute observation of like you know um i you know i feel like the girl would want him to know why she, why she's doing this cuz as far as for him it's just a horror movie but you know i you know, and uh, and it was just it was an observation but i was like that's great that actually makes a lot of sense that you know and, and so what i ended up doing with the scene is she chases it down she's about to kill him <clears throat> and they might have a brief exchange where she realizes he has no idea while I'm killing him so she stops the, the killing part, and and takes time to explain to him, like, here's why this is happening. Yeah, it's, it's not just because you were the first human I came across. I'm very specifically killing you for things that happened when I was a human. And I might have even, full disclosure, Chanel might have, like, ghost ghostwritten that for me. It's like, what what would she say to him? What, yeah. <laughs> what makes sense to you is what she would say, and then I just sort of transcribed it so so she's really good for letting me know like you know when she's enjoying something and and i could tell when it's genuine if something's not working even if she can't put her finger on it if it's not working i'm just going to take another look at it because clearly you know something's not working um and again because because she is a good reader and we have a similar taste you know uh for me like if she's happy with it then i'm i'm confident you know putting it out there and letting other people love it or hate it or rip it apart or, you know, whatever happens.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a key component whoever your beta readers are, they have to be people that resonate with you and the genre you're writing. Um, so that, uh, so that you can, you, you know that what they're saying isn't just their taste, but mm-hmm. their taste that could be broadened to a general, you know, sense of taste for whatever that is, that scene or that, that genre is. Cause a lot of people, me included, I read something and if I don't like it, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm less willing to tell you, or or I'm less able to um, be objective. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Like with editing too. I, I, so I, it's something I think about often uh, particularly with editors is I think, or I imagine uh, that there's, let's see, what the heck am i trying to say i think i have like 10 different thoughts i'm trying to condense i think here's the main idea and then then, uh, then i'll let, i'll let you sort of uh, pick up on it is with editing on the one hand it would it would seem like the the editor uh, the, both the job of the editor and the editor in particular um it's going to come with a certain level of objectivity in, in terms of, say, like like you said, like say with grammar as an example, uh, or just generally, you know, or you know, helping to st- structure a story, story structure, uh, character development. There's certain things where all, almost it's it's not as cut and dry as like a, a as a math formula, but you can almost sort of look at like, okay, there's a lot of exhibition, ex- exposition here. Let, let's maybe you know mix in some some dialogue or something like that. But uh, to your point. There's also going to be a lot of subjectivity and, and that a, a particular editor, they're going to have a particular taste in books, taste in writing. There's going to be certain things that they that they like that. Yeah. That You know, that it might not be the best thing for, for your book, but that might be the suggestion that they give you. So so I, I think the question I was trying to find my way to is, you know, um, what you know, how this I don't know if this is a question. Maybe I just want you to talk about it is how uh, difficult or important is it to find not just an editor who, who knows how to uh, help you with, with, with your grammar and help you with the structure and help you with the uh, developmental stuff, but also somebody that you can trust that they're not just going to try to shoehorn their own storytelling yeah. aesthetics onto your onto your book.
1: Yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess first let me – when we're talking about structure and – we should talk about well, who does structural editing, and yes. that's a developmental editor. So a developmental editor is going to objectively look at your story and tell you uh, if the structure of it, basically the structure of it, is going to fit within the expectations of whatever genre you're writing in. So a developmental editor can be objective because that person is going to understand that genre inside and out. And that's why yeah, the answer to your question is, you need to find an editor who reads, who reads widely and who is experienced widely in your specific genre because not all editors understand the tropes and reader exp- or audience expectations of all genres. It's very rare for somebody to, like uh, like if you handed me a romance book, I would have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> all I know is there's supposed to be a happy ending. That's literally all I know about romance. And I think that's just one specific sub sub-genre of romance. There might be not happy ending romance. I don't even know, so I couldn't edit a romance, or developmentally edit a romance novel. Um, and somebody who does developmentally edit a romance novel would be maybe very lost if you gave them a space opera, they would just be, Oh, spaceships. So it's, you know, great. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Uh, so yeah, you need somebody who reads uh, widely in the genre you're writing and who is experienced in editing the genre you're writing and who understands the tropes and audience expectations of that genre. And when I talk about genre, I'm, I'm talking not only about Uh, big genres like science fiction, I mean, you can get really niche, Um, you can get to, you know, dystopian um, alternate history. Those are, those are or, you know, alternate Mm -hmm. future, even. Um, Although I don't know if there's such a thing as alternate future because future doesn't exist. Anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you get my point. So, um, So a developmental editor can objectively say, okay, this is fitting the expectations of the genre and here is where it's not and um, that may or may not work because of these reasons. Um, And then of course all editors who work developmentally will understand this character arc, internal, external character arc. They'll understand um, um, just generally if writing is poor, Mm -hmm. like can't structure a sentence in a way that conveys an idea clearly, that will come out in a developmental edit, you know, and hopefully you'll get some suge- suggestions on on how to improve that kind of thing. And then there's all the nitty gritty of, um, so if you have a character who's got an accent and you, you put too much uh, dialect into their dialogue and it takes away from the story, a developmental editor can point that out and give you ideas on how to, you know, reel that in a little bit to make the story easier to access. Um, so that's what a developmental editor does, and then I lump together line editing and copy editing. They're a continuum mm-hmm. for me. Um, you can have, and and it's probably because I'm the kind of writer where I'm like, I deliberately wrote that sentence in that way because I'm trying to lead readers at a pace and with a mood that I want them to have, that mm-hmm. I want them to feel. I'm aware of what I'm trying to do there. Um, and I don't expect anybody else to be able to read every sentence that I write and read my mind and be like, she's doing what she expects to, or she's not doing what she expects to. So I have to hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but a copy editor will, uh, so, so when I look at a manuscript, I try to understand uh, a, a writer's um, particular style, their particular pacing, their particular sort of patois, if you will. Uh, so that I don't vary from that, you know, if somebody uses aims, I'm not going to change all their aims to aren't. Um, I'm going to like incorporate that as that's their milieu, and I don't want to mess with that too much um, but when you get down to things like the the continuum is a light copy edited is just mechanics. you're just fixing grammar, you're just fixing spelling and you're just fixi- fixing punctuation. Mm-hmm and things like homophones, misty homophones, that kind of stuff. But a line edit is like the other end of things where you're fixing all those things, but you're also saying, you have a cliche on every single page. Do you really want a cliche cliche (laughs) manuscript? Or you've said this uh, thing about this character six times in three pages. You don't need to repeat it that much. Um, both of them will look at continuity issues. Like, here's a character with blue eyes on page five, green eyes on page six. You need to make sure that gets consistent. Um, so, yeah, is that does that kind of? So they're both uh, they're both grammar, spelling, and punctuation. But line editing takes it further to help you avoid uh, uh, avoid doing bad things <laughs> for sure
0: and then uh, uh along with you know say with, i'm talking, i'm thinking about line editing right now uh, along with helping an author say avoid cliches or avoid uh any inconsistencies um how uh how often or not not how often how how obliged do you feel uh as an editor to also offer suggestions in terms of you know uh so you've got this line written this way And maybe if you keep it this way, you know, the, the world will keep spinning, but (laughs) here's another way to think about it.
1: Yeah. Um, well that, the, the, how I, how, how, uh, how obliged I feel is dependent on what they've asked of me and decided on. Um, you know, if somebody wants me to help rewrite things, that's going to take more time and money. So that'll be something we figure out up front, And it usually comes out in a sample, you know, I'll do, I'll do the first five pages or so of somebody's work. And I can generally tell. Uh, before we've ever signed a contract, you know, where their weak spots are, how much work it's going to take to bring them up to grammatical and, you know, gr- grammatical and spelling correctness, but also to avoid. So like, here's an example of what a line editor would do um, if you wanted to pay them to to do it. So if you have dialogue where Johnny went to the store, she said, why did Johnny go to the store? He asked, he went to the store because he wanted me to, he wanted to get some milk, she said. Um, and you have this redundancy in pacing and, and redundancy in structure. Mm-hmm. And a line editor will be like, here's a way of rewriting that that chain, you know, that gives you um, a great deal more, uh, makes it a great deal more interesting. But some people don't want to pay you to do that. And I don't blame them because that's expensive. <laughs> um, and they're just like, and they just want you to make sure the grammar's right, make sure the punctuation's right. So it's it's a, it's like I said it is a continuum and line editing doesn't necessarily find things that are wrong, but it will find <clears throat> things that can be improved.
0: Yeah, and, and that also gets into that uh, initial idea I had of like um, finding an editor who who sort of aligns with you uh, in terms of not both in genre but also in terms of taste. Um, or, or if somebody who, you know, if you're lucky, if lucky enough to find an editor, who's just, you guys are just really, you know, just simpatico, then, then all of a sudden their suggestions are, they're not, you know, they, they're they going to be, they're going to be more welcome. You're going to feel like, yeah, like they, they get what I'm doing. So when they make a suggestion, they're just going to be that much more, more open to it. Yeah, I, I, I know for me, uh, before I ever worked with an editor, um, I was, uh, I I, I, could, I was um I was always very nervous about working with an editor like even before I was published when I imagined okay when I when I was trying to get uh traditionally published for you know the first time which what would, would have been whenever that was 10 I don't know 10 15 years ago something like that there was always uh, there was always a part of me that was nervous to work with an editor part of it was just my general, my general insecurities as, as a writer, uh, my, my, my general, it was the insecurity of somebody telling me, you know, here's all the things wrong with, with, with you. It'd be the book, but I was out here. It is. Here's all the things that are wrong with you. Now go fix them. Um, and also, you know, here's all the ways, all, all the ways to make this better, which my concern was I was going to hear that as, you know, this isn't good enough. You know, just all, all this sort of, you know, sensitive artistic insecurities that you can imagine. Those were some of these fears I was, um, uh, th- th- that I was definitely living with uh, at, at that time. And um, where, where, where was I going? I think I got so caught up in my own sort of uh, neuroses that. Uh, I I forgot the train of thought I was going on, but, but the big idea was I was always nervous about when I would eventually work with an editor because I, and I, and I, and I had no concept except for what I could make up in my head. So the whole experience became, it was just like this very torturous experience of somebody coming in and telling me, here's, here's why everything you did is, is. It's yeah. terrible. A
1: good editor doesn't do that. A good editor is like, I see what you're trying to do here. Uh, here's some ideas for maybe bringing it to where I think you want to go. And if this isn't where you want to go, let's talk about where else, you know, what what I'm missing. It's 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 collaborative.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a lot of my clients would just prefer me to like write them a report, show them where all the, the, the problems are and send it along. And, and that's fine. But some people do, you know, they want to talk about it. Yeah. Because sometimes you know, people learn in different ways, and sometimes it makes more sense if you have a conversation about it, where you can ask questions and get to the they can ask you how to get to the the heart of the problem instead of just having it written down. Um, and those are the people who want to spend time, you know, redevelop, rewriting, redeveloping. And sometimes I get clients who want developmental editing on a specific book, but they've revealed to me that they have no writing history; they've mm-hmm. never taken a writing class, um, they've never worked with uh, a beta reader group or a writing group, and I'll sometimes suggest, well, you know, maybe the first step is going and getting into a writing group so that you can start understanding the craft better,
2: mm-hmm.
1: paying somebody to tell you that you don't know the craft, yeah. or paying somebody to tell you what's wrong with your book in the, the lingua franca of, of craft, and you having no idea what they're saying.
2: You know?
0: Right, Absolutely. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I know for me, I was, uh, so, so the, the, the best, um, the, the, the best writing education that I, that I got, um, it happened when I, when I was in college, but it wasn't specifically because I was in college, but it was essentially the same thing that I would have gotten out of a writing group. So whenever I would take a, a creative writing class in college, it, you know, it, it was, you know, we, we would workshop stories and, and essentially do what a good writing group would do, which is, you know, once a week or twice a week, uh, you know, somebody brings something they've written, whatever it is, a short story, maybe a, maybe a chapter to a book or something, or actually in my case, because it was a little bit more structured, it was usually, you know, maybe may, was usually maybe a short story if if it was, if it was a fiction class. Um, or I took a couple of, you know, like memoir classes. So we, we would write short, you mm-hmm. know, nonfiction pieces, but you know, it, it would be once or twice a week. We'd sit in a circle, uh, somebody would, you know, have a, a story to contribute for that, for that class. And then everybody would read it, uh, then maybe the night before preferably, um, so that they could have some time to sleep on and bring you some, 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 feedback. And, um, and so the best experiences I had, uh, in, in terms of that structure, uh, was with uh, my my former professor and you know, uh, it was my professor mentor and my friend to this day because I didn't want to, I I, I refuse to let him you know escape my 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 universe. Uh, uh, James, you know James Brown he's a fantastic uh, mem- memoirist um, and also just a, just a great author. Uh, but he was really good about um, at the begin at the beginning of a, of a class and in generally in the beginning of a workshop. Of uh, just kind of setting the uh, setting setting uh, you know the, the the mood for the room of you know uh, as as far as the feedback goes it, it like while it's like we like we like we want to give good feedback we don't want to be assholes <laughs> and yeah, so
2: yeah
0: and so you know just you know read the story if you have good feedback or not only that like you know maybe you've got uh, ten suggestions just you know pick two two or three things off of that list and then um and then we'd go around and one of the things that he he did and I don't know if all workshops do this in fact I don't think they do necessarily but I think it was good is uh whoever the author was for that particular 40 minutes or so um they weren't allowed to talk they weren't allowed to defend their idea they weren't allowed to explain anything Mm -hmm. even if there was an explanation they just had to sit there and listen to everybody and if you were me, like I would take notes on what people were saying. And, and part of the way that I also did it was, you know, if, if somebody had some feedback that didn't jive with what I was doing, then I didn't worry about it. But then if like five, six, seven people said the same thing, it's like, okay, well shit, let me, let yeah. me take a look at this because that seems to be
1: something's going to a common
0: theme. Yeah. But the, 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 where I got the most value though, was not having my, not having my stories, uh, critiqued, although that was valuable, but it was reading other people's stories yeah, sure and uh and it's so obvious to me now but at the time it was like a i discovered it in the moment of you know i had read somebody else's story and it was just so obvious to me like oh this this dialogue would work better would work better like this or this yeah. this they 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 should have more exposition here or these two characters should have this same conversation two pages earlier and, and when i would have that realization then i would I, it would i could automatically realize like oh okay I should do that in in my story that I can't objectively see in the same way yeah. as, as I'm reading this story. And so and, and so in that way even if I didn't do that in college, I think I would have sought out a, a writers group. I hope I would have sought out a writers group and I uh, and I imagine I would have got you know that that same valuable uh, learning experience.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I think that uh people maybe don't always realize that you kids you can anything's possible but it's a... <laughs> To write a good story, if you don't know how to analyze story, mm-hmm. and you do that yeah. by analyzing other people's work, and then bringing what you have learned about your own skills of of, uh, of of assessment to your own story, that's the only way to. If you didn't know how to assess a good story, how could you know if your own story was absolutely, or or have any confidence in your
0: story, you know? Absolutely, and and I think and I it I, it's not that I see this a lot now, but I I swear. Um, there was definitely a time where I feel like I saw this a lot where there's, you know, maybe there was like an aspiring writer or, or I, I can't think of a specific example. I just know that I saw it a lot of somebody who is like, yeah, I don't, you know, um, I don't like reading. I particularly don't like reading books, but uh, I'd like to write a book. And that always blew my mind, but it's it's yeah. not uncommon at all.
2: It's
1: not. I have some clients that that are not big readers, and they still tend to be good writers. And I'm amazed and happy for them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that that's amazing to me because, like, I, I would I, I would always in my just imagine like somebody who's like you know, like I can't imagine somebody wanting to be a filmmaker if they didn't love watching films. every movie that come out <laughs> that, that comes yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, I would
1: say though, one of the drawbacks of being an editor, maybe not just being an editor, but being a writer, is that I have a really hard time finding a story that I like now. Like, uh-huh. I can pick up 30 books from the library and only read two of them because I'm impatient now. I, mean, I have <laughs> expectations about how I want the story to unfold. Not that I want the story to unfold how I want it, how I would imagine it, yeah. but it needs to meet my own standards at this point. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, my husband all the time, he's like, so you, you got, how far did you get in that one? Oh, two days. oh, that's more than the last one. Um, it's really easy for me to judge now, uh, whether I'm going to enjoy a story or not, because I think so deeply about what I'm reading that it takes a lot to, to get me out of analyzing it and into just enjoying it.
0: I agree. Thank goodness for the, uh, Amazon preview page. Like that's, yes. that's my, I, 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 I pretty much literally, won't buy a book if i can't sample the first couple of pages if only to see similar to what you're saying let me hear the the voice let me hear the tone let me get a sense of the the pacing um
1: how many typos am i gonna have to fight (laughs) i'll put a book down if there's more than like a type one or two typos
0: (laughs) I'm, i'm still surprised about seeing typos in a particularly in a traditionally published book because in my brain You know, part of the benefit of a traditional publisher is they're going to they're going to, you know, put a book through the paces and before it ever hits the shelf, it will, you know, it it will have, you know, five copy editors. But that's not necessarily the case.
1: So let me tell you something funny. I'm reading a Robert R. McCammon book right now. Uh, Are you familiar with him? I know. He's a big, big time horror writer. He wrote Swan Song, which is going to come out, I think, as a a miniseries soon. I've loved him since I was a little kid. He's traditionally published, big time author. I'm reading his book called *Boys' Life* right now, and I've found two major typos. One is the word "father" is, is "lather," <laughs> lather. Like I went up and hugged my lather. And then the word they're talking about a doctor who's treating some patients, and they use "patients" as in "I don't have any patience for you," <laughs> or I don't, "I don't have time," you know, you know. Yeah, it's not a patient it's the word patience and i was so surprised to see those big errors in this big traditionally published book yeah Even i from the 90s 90s when before publishing houses started firing all their copy editors so <laughs> stuff happens don't and that that's a lesson to any any of your listeners like you cannot expect perfection of your editors because there's no such thing
0: mm-hmm. no absolutely so, uh, so so something that i'd like to get in uh uh uh, get your—I was going to say—get your thoughts on, but really, just have you talk about it for a little bit, um, and then we then we can start to to, to wrap up a little bit because at, at this point you've been very very generous. Uh, how long have we been
1: talking? Oh wow, it's been a while. I know
0: it's, it's been—I think—I think it's been nearly nearly an hour. Um, it's yeah, you know, I, I think that's how it's usually how it goes with us. I feel like is a as a if we have a, a a twenty minute chat that it, apparently is actually an hour long. Um, as best as you can, I would love to hear. The, the process of, if, if you can walk walk us through the process of, you know, uh, you get a new client, a new a new hypothetical a hypothetical client. um, What's that process look like working with that client from, say, you know, say the moment that you've agreed to work together, they've signed a contract, you are now their editor uh, from the beginning uh, to the end. And let's assume that they want the full package. They want uh, developmental editing. They want copy editing. They want line editing. They want the... The full gambit. So, I, so, so, what's that look like? And then, in particular, what's that look like specifically from you as an editor? Um,
1: so, well, I actually rarely will copy edit a book that I've developmentally edited because I get too familiar with the text by that point. Oh, sure. And I start. Uh, I, I have the same problem an author has where they've reread their own work so many times. You start missing things. Your yeah. brain starts filling in words that they expect to see that it expects to see. So you you're not as maybe some authors or re- editors are, but I'm not as able to catch all the errors when I've already read that a couple of times.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, but if I did, and I have in the past um, with shorter books and that didn't need a lot of work. Um, so like we signed a contract, they'll send me the manuscript and I'll I'll just read it two or three times making all of my notes. And then I, I draft for developmental editing. Developmental editing, I draft a, Usually between 12 and 15 page report, um, I have gone as far as 25 pages and I think that's a little overwhelming, but usually it's loaded with um, excerpts from the text. Mm-hmm. So you can see, this is what you wrote, this is what I suggest would be you know helpful in this context. And so it's not just 25 pages of me being like, that's wrong, 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 wrong. Bad, 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 bad. It's like, <laughs> here's something you wrote, here's an, a, an example of how it could be improved or changed to better fit, like I just said. Um, so most of the time with developmentally editing, I will do the whole thing at once and then send it back to the author, give them as much time as they need to, uh, digest what I've said. And then we'll have two or three meetings afterwards to just go over everything I've said, anything they didn't understand, um, any last questions they have. Uh, and then, and then yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, some authors I'll meet with like in, an in interim, Steps while I'm still working on the book, mostly by email. <clears throat> usually because I need a clarification on, like maybe they've switched a character's name or they've moved a character to a location that hadn't previously been set up, and I'm not clear on what's happening. So to get their uh, clarity so that I can give feedback that will help make everything work better. Uh, so then, so that's how that works. Um, so I also, I guess more mechanically or logistically, what I do with clients is we decide to work together. I send them a contract, I take a deposit <clears throat> for uh, you know for the for the we schedule it, I take a deposit that's refundable. <clears throat> and then I work do the work. they send me the manuscript. I do the work. We have our and when I send them back the manuscript, i I get paid. I send them invoice for the final, mm-hmm. you know for the end. <clears throat> and then we have two or three conversations about. It's everything else, you know, everything that I've sent. Um, with copy editing and line editing, it's kind of the same process. We decide to work together. Uh, they sign a contract. I take a deposit. They send me the manuscript on the, the dates, you know, that they did, that we agreed on. Um, and with line editing and copy editing, there's not any need for back and forth. You know, mm-hmm. I explain the reasons I made, changes I made, if the explanation is needed. You know, if, if it's like I move a paragraph, I'll explain. Explain why I've moved that paragraph. But if it's just fixing a, a mechanical error, that's obvious. Um, or if I fix something globally, like uh, you know, say they they uh, they will use double spaces at the end of a sentence. That happens still sometimes. Um, I won't do that with track changes on. I won't fix those with track changes on because it's, there's no need to. You know, you make it. You can make that change once, explain that you made that change, and then explain that you made the rest of the changes with track changes off, because you don't need them to go through those right. individually. They get it. <clears throat> um, some clients I work with enough that I actually set up macros. You know, some client. everybody has their own foibles. <laughs> I can't spell occurred right. <laughs> I just can't do it. <laughs> um, and some clients I've worked with so much that I know what their foibles are. So that I've set up macros for their for their work that I just run a macro that fix all fix all of their foibles in one fell swoop, and you know that's the beauty of working with the same editor for a long yeah. period of time, is that they get to know your work so well that y- I've got, I have clients who've told me that they don't even look at my changes anymore they just accept them all and move on. <laughs> so it's easier for me it's easier for them. Yeah, and uh, yeah I love that.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. So because because you are so yeah you are so busy and you mentioned at the beginning you're you're booked two years in advance right now just so uh so super busy do you do you and can you edit more than one book at a time or is part of that is part of that waiting list that you you give one book your attention at a time before moving on to the next one
1: um yeah I'll have a lot of overlap. Um, between projects, mostly is because you know when I'm booking that far in advance, it's because I have clients that they know they're going to write an eight-book series, so they want to get on my calendar ahead of time, and they know roughly that the, each book is going to be between eighty and a hundred thousand words or so. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know roughly how much time that'll take me, and you know how I can fit things around that. Um, if their book comes in way short on word count then sometimes i have time to fit in another project but if it comes in way long so when i say i'm booked two years in advance that's roughly Um, Mm -hmm. i always have unexpected openings because you know things happen sure um so i don't discourage anybody from contacting me if they're if they're interested because i I do have openings they just i can't plan for them (laughs) Um, but you know and then if somebody's book is extra long longer than either of us anticipated I'll end up overlapping projects or um, sometimes I like to just work on two books at once because it's nice to, in the morning, be in outer space and in the afternoon, be in some fantasy world. (laughs) And it's just kind of, I don't know, it's just, it's relaxing to me. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, As you mentioned that also um, uh, when you're, because so, so much of your time just professionally speaking is, is, is reading um, how challenging is it to, when you want to read for leisure?
1: Not challenging. I love to read. <laughs> That's good. Night before bed.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it is challenging. I have um, way, way, way dialed back my developmental editing because I do find it really hard to work on uh, somebody else's book uh, in that way while trying to write my own. I just sure. My brain can't hold two stories at once, so so most of the work that I have booked ahead any these days is is line editing and copy editing. Okay.
0: It's, it's yeah. It's
1: it's easier for my brain to be creative on my stuff and and precise with with work.
0: Awesome, awesome. Um, okay, so so before we before we start wrapping up, uh, I, I have to imagine, I have to imagine that. Uh, there's going to be folks listening who uh, you've, you've piqued their interest in terms of not just working with an editor, but specifically working with the very talented Tammy Sawyer. So if somebody did want to seek out your editing services, how, how would they do that?
1: Oh, um, go to my website. It's inspiredinkediting.com. Inspired Inc is my company name
0: fantastic. And then, uh, and then after they, they do that and they discover that you're also a fantastic author, uh, is it, it's, uh, I imagine that's also where they could find out about your books.
1: No, no, I have that, uh, separate. I, I try to pretend that I'm two different people.
0: <laughs> that makes sense.
1: Yeah. That's at my website. That's Tammy Salyer.com.
0: Tammy say Okay. Perfect.
1: Did, did you want to talk real fast about your circus book?
0: I would love to. So I, so here's the funny thing. You, you'd mentioned that, uh, up front and I didn't forget but then as we as we were getting closer to to the hour i thought i don't know i don't want to shoehorn i don't want to shoehorn my my circus book but it's since you ask I, I would be thrilled to to, to to talk about it with you so uh so so the book it's so it's it's uh, grover wilcox goes to the circus it's the title uh my my main character it's it's written in the first person point of view uh it actually so it's written in the first person present tense which ended up being for me, really, really challenging, but like like a good challenge, mm. because the way that I approached it not not that this is not that there's any writing rule, but the way that I the the sort of guidance that I gave myself is okay. It's first person, present tense. So for me, this uh, this 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 narrator is discovering the story at the exact same time as the reader. Mm-hmm. So they don't they don't know what's going to happen from one sentence to the next. So it's like really reduced my uh, it's it's made it it's it's makes like say like foreshadowing a little bit more challenging or or not even foreshadowing necessarily but you know there's there certain things that there's certain uh i don't know tools that i didn't realize that i used yeah. where if it's you know third person or you know uh past tense where you could you could sort of write about you could uh insinuate that something's going to happen or here's a thing that's coming up so, so writing in first person present tense was a really good challenge, and my my thought process was uh, well, I'll give you the premise of the story, and then it, it lines up with my my creative decision to do first person present tense. So, uh, so my protagonist he's a he's a adjunct college professor, which is another way of saying he's 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 very broke and works very hard. Uh, and he he discovers one day that he's fireproof um as far as the book goes he it's it's basically like from the first sentence of the book um he has a he has a mishap in his kitchen lights himself completely on fire and then basically for most of the first chapter he's on fire he's he's trying to stop drop and roll trying to do what he can uh he basically sort of gives up and figures this is it this is how i'm gonna die um He's also kind of reflecting on his life a little bit Uh, and then by the time you basically get to the end of the chapter He's managed to put this fire out and discovers he's completely unharmed Um, he doesn't know why this is true. He just knows that now that he's fireproof Um, and then a a few chapters later, uh, he ends up Uh, meeting a, a fortune teller who works at this traveling circus who's passing through town uh they uh, they essentially recruit him because they find out that, that he's fireproof. They recruit him to be, to be part of this circus and then um and then the big crux of the books is him on this joining this traveling circus um using his yeah uh, uh, you know, using his fireproof ability to perform except he's not he's not talented otherwise he has no performing skills whatsoever. he's just fireproof and so they kind of figure out they they figure out a, a an act around him him. Being fireproof and also generally not terribly talented, and so the so the book kind of goes that way. And then uh, you get the sense, if I've done my job on the page, you get the sense that you know there's there's not everything is exactly right. There might there's probably things about the circus he should be concerned about, but doesn't doesn't quite see it yet. Uh, he eventually discovers though that he's um, he's a prisoner in this circus. So, so that's sort of, you know, so now you've, I've got this character, he's in the circus, he thinks this is the thing that he wants, because, uh, you know, he's coming from this, you know, adjunct teaching life, um, only to find out that once he got the thing that he wanted, not only isn't what he thought, but now he's quite literally trapped there. And then, and then, of course, you know, uh, can he get out? Is he able to get out? Is he able to get out with, without, you know, um, <laughs> basically without uh, uh, being killed for his troubles and so and so that that idea is partly the the primary reason I decided to write it in first person present tense was um I didn't want this character to have the luxury of knowing how his story ended so for all he knows he's not going to make it or he is going to be killed and um and I and I sort of play with that in the narrative a little bit um where I think there's a chapter where he's he's you know, talking to one of his college classes. He's a he's an English professor, and he talks a little bit about you know uh, present tense and past tense and first person and second person and third person, and he's talking to his characters about it or his his students about it. But it's also my way of kind of setting that up a little bit for for the reader, setting up expectations about sort of the you know in this case a, a first person tense point of view, the limitations of it is this character doesn't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I was, so my hope was to, to really raise the, raise the stakes, both story-wise, but also well, I, I, across the board, you know, story-wise, emotionally, narrative-wise, uh, character-wise, so that neither this character nor the reader knows how things are going to turn out until, you know, until they get to that, that yeah. last page.
1: Yeah. I love the immediacy of first person. I love to write in first person for that very same reason because because you don't know what's going to happen, yeah. doesn't know what's going to happen, characters don't know what's going <laughs> to. You should know if you're the author. Yeah, your outlines can surprise you.
0: They really can, and, and if, yeah, like with this book, I so the way that I outlined it originally was um, I started with I gave myself just like a big arbitrary number of fifty chapters. And then just, you know, just basic 50 blank chapters in my outline. And then I would just kind of fill in oh, yeah. every other chapter, you know, five chapters ahead where I know right about here is where, you know, I, I knew the first chapter he's going to discover his fireproof. I knew that. Okay. And then roughly, I don't know, five or six chapters, maybe this is a good spot for him to just, you know, meet this circus. And then, you know, right, you know, maybe 20, 30 chapters is when he'll find out this other important stuff. And I kind of just you know, vaguely plotted out that way uh, and then and still an outline form I'll still kind of like think through it like okay so between chapter one and five when these two important things happen what are some other useful and important things that might fill up the space and kind of you know fill up the outline that way um, and then I then you know then I then eventually I started writing toward that outline um, but you know along the way you know uh, things might change. The outline might veer uh, a little bit. And what would eventually happened was I was get, I had like, so, so there, I had a lot of stopping and starting with the book where uh, I, I might stop writing for a month. I think I probably had a period of like six months where I probably didn't touch it. Probably even in fact, even my short story collection, I ended up working on that while putting this book aside largely because I, I was, I kind of felt like I was stalled on the the, the circus book. It wasn't. I, I didn't quite know what the problem was, and then when I went back to it, one of the problems with taking so much time away from it was I couldn't exactly remember what. Despite having the outline, I couldn't remember exactly where I was or what the momentum was and of of, of you know was going with it, and so then um, and so I was sticking pretty closely to the outline, just trusting that, you know, when I wrote it, it it probably made sense. And so about a year ago, a year or so ago, I kind of reached a point where I was kind I was basically, I I felt kind of bored with, with the story. And I was like, this isn't good, but I'm all, I'm following my outline. But I'm also, I don't like, I feel like I'm just almost, it's almost like I'm doing a chore of just like, okay, let me write this next chapter in the outline. And so I was like, well, let me just, I don't know. I'm just going to pretend like wherever I am right now, I'm going to pretend it's time for things to start ratcheting up, this is basically the 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 we're we're working at the top of the third act, and it's just time to really get to the exciting stuff, regardless of what's in the outline. And then you know I'll I'll see what happens later. Um, and so I just I just started writing towards the climax like immediately, and that ended up being the best thing. Where it's so like outline wise, I probably lost a handful of chapters, maybe more than that, maybe five ten chapters. But what it, what I but by doing that I also realized that I didn't need all those extra chapters. Once I started writing towards the climax, it, it it didn't happen from one chapter to the next. It still had a nice natural progression. Yeah. Um and it ended up being the best thing of just like doing that. And then the the first draft was like it was pretty long. It was like hundred and twenty thousand words. So then when I got into the second draft, I didn't go into the second draft like thinking, Okay, I need to I need to shave you know, forty thousand words off of this. I just figured I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tighten it as best as I can, and we'll kind of see what happens. And when I tightened it up, it was maybe like a hundred thousand, so I shaved twenty thousand words off of it. So I was like, okay, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. So then when I did the third draft, it was kind of the same thing. It's like I'm not I'm not worried about making it shorter, but as I tighten it, if it gets shorter, that's cool. So the third draft, I ended up shaving, I think, another probably like another twenty thousand words off of it. So like the third draft was like a nice tight 80,000 words and that was about the point where like the third draft felt you know like no book is ever like done but I was like okay this feels tight enough that I can start you know I feel comfortable with the process of uh, for for this book you know querying literary agents like for this book my initial goal is to see if I can't get a traditional uh, publishing deal off of it Um, like I'm not married to it like if if I reach a point where it just feels like that's not going to happen like I know I have the the, the benefit of I know how to publish this myself if it gets there. Um, so what I'm actually doing now is as I wait as I wait for you know responses from agents, um, you know instead of instead of sort of like sitting on my hands, um, I just started doing a, a fourth draft uh, past of it. Um, and even that's been super valuable because even where I thought like, okay, this third draft, this is perfect. Nothing needs to change. Going through this fourth mm-hmm. draft, I was like, oh shit, yes. This actually can be better. Oh, actually, you know what? This, this, this chapter might actually work better if I put it here, or huh. well, this chapter actually makes more sense as two chapters. The things that I wouldn't yeah. expect, like, to be the breaking point with an agent saying yes or no, but just for my own, you know, my own standards of what I want it to be. This fourth pass has been really valuable, and I suspect it'll be a fifth and a sixth, and you know, <laughs> and then you know, and I think my general goal is like I'll just keep doing, I'll just keep doing, you know passes through it while i wait for agents and until i run through uh every possible agent who i think would be interested and then at that point if if i've gotten you know a parade of no's then it, it, even then before i publish it myself i'll probably do one more pass of it and then i'll call tammy and then i'll see what <laughs> what's what's your availability
1: and uh is it a standalone
0: it is yes it, it's a standalone book which um partly it's a standalone partly to standalone because um I guess I think there's a couple of reasons, probably the primary reason. I think myself as a, as a reader, uh, I know that I enjoy standalone books more, although I have I have um, fallen in love with book, you know, with with, with series before mm-hmm. uh, one that comes the, the first that comes to mind is probably my favorite book series. It's uh, called It's the Thursday Next series it's by Jasper Ford. I don't know if you're familiar. He's wonderful. Um, and actually, um, so, so I've been a bit, I've been a fan of Jasper Ford for probably, I think I, I think I read my first of his books somewhere in the area of like twenty, I don't know like two thousand three or something like that. It was um, uh, uh, but so Thursday next is a she's a literary detective, and it's this really wonderful premise. He's he's like a fantasy author, but he does the kind of fantasy that I like, where it's like. 80 percent reality but mm-hmm. just enough enough fantasy to make it uh, to make it interesting. interesting yeah so thursday next is a she's a literary detective so she has this ability to um you know jump into a book especially a, uh, into a story and and so the way it works is that you know uh, all all books and all book characters are all living things and so um so so there's a book on your shelf right now where your favorite book, the characters are hanging out, they're having a chat, they're just shooting the shit, and then when somebody reads the book, it's almost it's it's like theater. It's like oh, it's almost time for page eighty-six. Everyone take their places, and huh. then and then they get through that page wow. and they kind of do I what they're check doing. This out. And then so then within because it's a living place, they also have crimes or murders or things that have to be solved. Hmm. And so so as a literary detective, she can jump into a book and help solve a, a crime of some sort. Uh, and she and she includes, you know, famous books or famous characters. And it's really wonderful. So I oh. I think there's maybe five or six of them. And I've read if I I thought I read all of them. I think I recently found out there might be one or two new ones. Um, so he's I, I love his books. Anyway, I just literally a couple of days ago, I finished reading uh, his newest book called uh, The Constant Rabbit. It's a standalone book, but it's it's a book that where uh, it, uh, you know, uh, rabbits, most every animal but specifically rabbits have been uh, anthropomorphized, anthropomorphized okay. following like a a big bang-ish event. so like one day they were just like regular rabbits the next they were you know humanoid rabbits who could like speak and think but still had certain you know rabbit values and they're sort of you know that they live in a world. the book starts where rabbits have been around for like fifty sixty years in this way and it's a, a really a clever allegory for really any social issue you want it to be, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, racism, sexism, whatever, but told through the lens of like these rabbits trying to fit in and with this human world. And, and, you know, where there's like, I forget what there's called, I think it's like humanoid supremacist, like stuff like that, where, so it's very fun, very satirical, uh ve- but like very smart, and, like beneath the surface, you know, kind of has something to say.
1: A ship down.
0: I, I want to say, yeah, I don't know if I'm familiar, but I'm going to say, uh, I, I want to say, yeah. And so I, I tweeted uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, I tweeted a line from the book that I was, that I was fond of. And, uh, and motherfucking Jasper Ford responded. It, it made my decade. I didn't even know that yeah. <laughs> that was even yeah, that possible. <laughs> uh be fun that way. Uh, so, so yeah. And I, and of course, I, I think I responded to that tweet gushing about how much i loved him and i don't, I don't expect a response to that one because at that point you know it's like all right crazy no, guy i gave you a response you're you're merry christmas <laughs> and i appreciate it. <laughs> but anyway so yeah so so yeah so he so but uh, so to answer your question from you know an hour ago uh-huh. so it's ultimately a standalone book because i i, I realized those are my favorite books are the standalone books and so i think almost connecting to the discussion we were having earlier in terms of editors. Um, I, I, I think to, to a certain degree, it almost felt disingenuous to think of my books in terms of writing a book series, because that's not really what I read. Like, I really love standalone books. So it almost felt more appropriate that, uh, to, to write books that are standalone, because that's ultimately the books that I enjoy reading. I, I think it could, I, and I realized as I'm working on it, because that first draft was so big. I really, it probably could be a series if I wanted to take it in that direction, um, but I, but I, but like with my vampire trilogy, uh, I I try not to have too many regrets. But there's a part of me that that almost wishes that I would have just taken those three books, which originally was one draft, and just just crushed it down into like one really jam-packed, exciting standalone novel. I'm still really proud of the trilogy, I've, and I'm really proud proud of sort of. Uh, What I did with the three books and telling like one big, you know, Star Wars trilogy-esque story where each book is its own thing, but they all come together in in one big way. But lately, uh, just, you know, I don't know. I I, I try not to regret it too much, but there is a part of me that almost wishes that maybe I would have gone in that direction with it. Hmm.
1: Yeah, my strategy is uh, write a book, be okay with being done with it, and then write a new book. And any yeah. regrets that I uh, might have with the last book, I make sure to avoid doing that again with sure. the Because you never, you'll never not have a book in you, you know.
0: That's yeah. That's very very true. To that well, the to that well. That's very true. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I, I, again, uh, I like. I know we could sit here talking for the next two or three hours. Um, I also know you're busy. I also know you. Uh, uh, that just in terms of uh, scheduling this I know that you've got things going on so I greatly appreciate your time uh it's even been if fun. It, to talk yeah, again I know it, it's I, I love chatting with you this this isn't going to be the last time we do this especially uh especially now that we have the you know the, the convenience of of uh chatting remotely we don't have to wait for the next time you know one or, you know one of us is in the same state or city (laughs) as the other one. Um, So, so we'll go ahead and wrap up, but, but is there any, 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 any last thoughts, last message, last bit of promotion, anything you want to do before we, we wrap this up? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. There you have it, everybody. That was my friend, the very talented author and editor. Tammy Sawyer. Uh, again, uh, we, we talked about it, but uh, Tammy has a new book that came out in January of 2022. It's called Gnome on the Range. Book two of that series is coming out in May. That one is called Deadwood or Alive, Other Outlaws too. So there you have it. It was a fantastic conversation. I, I always love talking with my friend Tammy Sawyer. And uh, I can't believe it was—it's been seven years since she's been on the podcast, but uh, it, it's—we're—we're we're, we're not going to take a seven-year break uh, for for our next chat. I definitely want to talk with her again. As we wrap up, let me leave you with some words from the brilliant RuPaul. Unless they're paying your bills, pay them bitches no mind. All right, guys, this was episode two twenty-two. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I will see you on the other side.